Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This past week, uh, granddaughter Kylie brought grandma a gift. It's all wrapped up like only a three-year-old can do. Four. And it had a, had a card as well, a handmade card. And uh, she opened it up and it looked like that. And thankfully it was her that opened it and recognized right away it was a Christmas ornament for the Christmas tree. And the card, the card made that clear. Here's the ornament and the tree. And you can't quite see it because it's done in red, but it's, and Kylie says, that's me and that's you and your Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can bet that that ornament will be uh, front and center this year. But it won't be the only ornament with sentimental value. Because Sue has collected stuff like that and things that we've bought in various parts of, of uh, the world and and, and almost every ornament on our tree has some meaning, and she knows them all, and I know she knows them all because when I ask her what they mean, she tells me. Uh, <laughs> the Christmas decorations are a reminder of how rich we are in the things that really matter in life. I want to talk about how rich we are in Christ today. And kind of start by asking the question, do you know how rich you are? As we come to Thanksgiving, and we start to think about thankfulness, it's easy at times to not be very thankful when things aren't going perhaps as well as we would like them to go in one area or another of life. But the greatest reason we have to thank, be thankful is a reason that doesn't change, and that's our salvation. And so I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1 this morning and just look at some of the, the riches that we have through our salvation and encourage your heart of thankfulness as we begin the month of November and as we approach the Lord's Supper. Please follow as I read from Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. These 19 verses are full of significant truth, and we're not going to plumb the depths of them today. You can be thankful for that. But we want to touch on the highlights and then bring it home as we, start, as we think about how can we develop a heart of thankfulness. And the first thing that we understand about our salvation here is this. God enriched us. In verse 3 it says that God has given us all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. When we believe in Christ we gain a new realm of existence. That is, the existence in the heavenlies, or the existence where God has his primary existence. Before we know Christ, our world is here. After we believe in Christ, we have a connection with God. And in fact, Philippians 3 says this, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, now tell you weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who, uh, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior. From which we wait for the Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4 puts it this way. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, uh, being human, it's awful hard for us to get our eyes off of the things that are seen and onto the things that are unseen in heaven. But that is God's call to us because that is where we are in reality. Now, I'm not talking some kind of Christian science doublespeak here. What I'm talking about is the fact that you have an existence with God in heaven, and through that existence, God has given you everything he possibly can give you. Now, down here on earth, you might have a real meager existence. You might have to count your pennies when you go to the grocery store. Uh, maybe you're one of those people uh, on food stamps who got a reduction in the amount you're going to have for groceries because of changes in the federal spending this week. 
and you're wondering how you're going to make it go, and you think, boy, my life is kind of small, it's kind of tight, it's kind of hard, and it's easy to get focused on this, God says, look up and realize that your permanent existence in heaven is full. There is no blessing that God has withheld from you. If you're going to have a heart full of thanksgiving, you've got to look up and understand the blessings that God has given to you. And the first one of those starts in the next verse when it says that God chose us. In verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. This doctrine is commonly called uh, the doctrine of election. Some people really don't like it because they, uh, they, they look at it and say, God has chosen to send people to hell. No, he has not done that. He has chosen to work in some people's lives to ensure that they will believe and will make it to heaven. The simple truth is this, God initiated our salvation. Jesus himself put it this way, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Why does God have to draw us to himself? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all conducted our lives in the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and the mind, We were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were totally overcome in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I think if we would turn this around and look at the other side of it, we would understand better. Do you really think that you were so spiritually inclined that you were seeking God and didn't give up till you found Him without Him starting the process. Well, let me put it to you this way. The first time you ever heard the gospel message, the first time you heard it, and somebody said, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, You are a sinner, and you cannot save yourself. And the only way you can be saved is to believe in Christ. The first time you heard that, did you go, yes, 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 that's what I've been looking for, that's what I've been looking for. How many of you did that? You know what the truth is? We think God throws out a rope, and we jump on and grab it. The reality is more like this, that God goes, come here, buddy. And and, and he goes like this. He goes like this, and Wayne goes, no. And God goes like this. Come on, Wayne. And finally, Wayne goes, I give up. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, and that's why when we come 
to this table, we go, thank you, God. You see, the choosing that went on was before the foundation of the world. I didn't have anything to do with that. Now, I understand that after God gets that rope hooked around us and starts pulling, then we start to think, you know, there's got to be a God out here. <laughs> and as I've, as I've meditated on this in recent years, I've thought, you know, part of God hooking that rope on may just be putting us in a place where we hear the message for the first time. Do you think it's an accident that you were somewhere and somebody told you the gospel? No. There's no such thing as spiritual evolution. This isn't a chance deal. God looked out and said, this poor schmuck is so messed up, if I don't take the rope and hook it on him, he'll never believe. And so we come to understand what this means. We love him because he first loved us. And we're able to be here today and say, oh, thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Because he got a hold to us. What a great thing. Well, God didn't stop, according to this chapter, with just keeping us out of hell or putting us into heaven. Uh, look at verse 4. <clears throat> he chose us not only to be holy, but to be without blame. Blameless. And then, you know, if we, we look at this and say, what does it mean to be blameless? It means that God has recreated us and he is recreating us. He, is, he has designed that we will not just slide into heaven, but that we will become like Christ. Second Peter 1, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be divine. You're not going to be a little God, a demigod in the stack of gods with God the Father being at the top. That's not what it means. It means the divine nature as in the perfection of character. We look at Christ and we see how perfect he was. That perfection is available to us as we say no to sin and yes to righteousness. We are transformed. The scripture says we're changed from one level of glory into another level of glory as we look into the mirror of God's word and look at the reflection of Christ. We get to be like Christ Sometimes when we look around at the meagerness of our life or the challenge of our life, maybe there's, a, maybe there's an issue of illness or, or maybe there's a problem at work or whatever it is, and we get focused on that and we stop realizing, you know what? Every day and in every way, I get to grow to be more like Christ. God has made it possible that I can be more like Christ even in this lousy job, even in this house that's falling down, even in this car that breaks down sometimes. I can be more like Christ. That's getting our eyes up into heaven and to see what is permanent and temporary. Someday this old house is going to fall down as is the whole of, of, of the earth will be consumed and a new one built. 
And so, yeah, it matters now for 70 or 80 years, but it's not going to matter for thousands and millions and time uncountable in heaven. We get to be like Christ now. We don't have to be riddled with anxiety because of the uncertainty of the economics in our country. We don't have to give in to the sin that ruins families. We don't have to be enslaved by drugs or alcohol or pornography or fame or fortune or power. We can live in peace and joy because we have the life of Christ growing inside. Well, how did God do this for us? He did it by freeing us. Look at verse 4 and verse 7. He, he chose us to be holy and without blame before him. And verse 7 says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When we believed in Christ, God removed our sin. And he did this by putting our sin on Christ. He, Christ, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put on him. God took all of your sin written in a book and put it right onto Christ while he was on the cross. When there was darkness on the face of the earth, God was pouring out your sin on him, on him, on him. And, and Christ took it and took it and took it and he could take it because he was divine. He took the sin. He took the punishment. And that's why 1 Peter says, you were not redeemed, you were not forgiven or your sins paid for with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. God spared no expense to save your soul. When we come here, Jesus told us two things in particular. He said, there's bread that is to remind you of my body, which was abused in all manner of ways. And there is the fruit of the vine, he said, which is to make you think about my blood, which paid for your opportunity to come into this new covenant with, Christ, with God. And that new covenant is to be born again. My blood pays for that. And he says, I want you to drink this cup and eat this bread to remember me. We don't do it to get saved. We do it to remember our salvation. And we do it to remember how expensive it was. God sent his only son to pay for our sin. That's expensive. This week, Sue and I went to Costco because we heard there was a shipment of pajamas. <laughs> and we wanted to bless our grandkids when they're all at our house at Thanksgiving. Aren't we wonderful? <laughs> you know what? Your earthly father might not bless you at Thanksgiving. He might be a bum. So might your mother, for that matter. 
They might be gone from your life and not in a good way, or they might just be gone in the natural way. You might be tempted to see your life as deficient or empty. But you have a heavenly Father who has given you every possible spiritual blessing and done incredible things for you so that you might become like Jesus Christ himself. What shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? Graciously give us all things. Well, the fifth thing that we understand about our salvation that shows us how precious and wonderful it is is in verse 5 of Ephesians 1. God predestined us to adoption as sons. Now, the word predestination has tripped up many people. It does not have to do with salvation directly. It has to do with the concept of sonship. Of sonship. God could have saved us in some way that just took us to heaven, that just ensured that we would not go to hell. But God has gone far beyond that and adopted us into his family. He said, I am not only going to take away your sins, but I'm going to make you one of my children. And Romans chapter 8 shares with us one of the great blessings of that sonship. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the word Abba would be, would be Hebrew or, uh, or Aramaic, forgive me for not knowing which there, but it would be for the word Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Christian, do you know why you know you are going to heaven when you die? It's because the Spirit bears witness with your spirit. Because you are a son of God, God has sent the Holy Spirit into you, and when you stop and, 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 and take a note of your spiritual life, you say, man, I'm going to heaven someday. And that in itself is a great blessing of being in Christ. God has adopted us into his family And he does this, of course, through our faith. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. If you're here today and you've never believed in Christ, if you've never truly put your faith in him alone for salvation, that is the entrance point into salvation. We come to a a point in our life when we say, Christ is the Savior. I cannot save myself. I am a sinner But he died for me, and he has asked me to believe in him. And when you say, I believe, I reject all other forms of belief, all other working my way to heaven or whatever else I've thought, I believe in Christ alone. When you do that, you become a son or a daughter of God. And of course, the sonship is significant in the time of the Bible writing because the sons were the ones who inherited the daughters didn't inherit. 
And so God has said, you get to inherit, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But verse 9 goes on to tell us that not only did God adopt us, but he enlightened us. Look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. The phrase I just want to focus on is that first one, having made known to us the mystery of his will. Do you realize that it's a privilege that God has told you his will? We've been around the Bible so long that we just kind of take it for granted. But God here says one of the great blessings of being his child is he's given his truth to us. Second Peter talks about the whole Bible when it says no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And his divine power has given to us all things through the knowledge of him, through this truth of God. We are not stumbling in the dark trying to figure out life like the people we read about on the magazine covers when we wait to buy our groceries. We're tempted to look at their life and go, wow, it'd be nice to have money like that. Not if it came with their life attached. God has given us the ability to have a, a good life, a confident life, a consistent life. We don't have to stumble in the dark trying to figure life out. We have his word. He has given it to us. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's right here. It's available to us. We don't have to live in worry and fear. We can walk confidently because we have God's truth. What a wonderful blessing. Number seven, God endowed us. Look at verse 11 here. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has endowed us. The word endowment, if you don't know, is uh, the way that we refer to gifts uh, after people have died they leave an endowment they leave an a, a gift if you will and uh, you know Peter elaborated on this in first Peter when he said blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance which is incorruptible undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten a little inheritance from my grandfather. My, uh, my mom's dad, he left me uh, three pieces of highly advanced technology, a manual typewriter, pocket watch, and a pair of cufflinks. Now, the cufflinks you can still use. I, I have one shirt. When I do weddings, I wear a shirt with cufflinks. And I wear my grandfather's cufflinks. Uh, you can use the pocket watch. Typewriter sits in my office. It holds the table down. <laughs> God has given us an inheritance. 
it's in heaven waiting for us. Could you just, just close your eyes for a minute and just think to yourself, if God is going to give me something in heaven, do I think that's going to be pretty amazing? Or is it going to be like an old typewriter? What do you think? What do you think God has up there for us? You remember John 14? I'm going to prepare a place for you. The word mansion is used in the King James. It's a a misunderstanding. It just means a a specific place, a dwelling place. God is preparing a place for us. You know what else God is storing up? God is storing up your righteousness. And someday he's going to reward you for your righteousness. And then, of course, heaven itself, which is the presence of God, will be ours, as will the new heavens and the new earth. The heavens where God is, it will never be changed, but God uses the word heavens to refer to what we call outer space, the galaxies and so on. And this, he- this earth and this heaven are going to be burned up and new ones built. Why? Because these have been tainted by sin. And, and you know, when I, when I come down from my hill up there, I drive down that hill, down the church road on a beautiful day like this, I can look over and see Mount Baker. And man, it is beautiful with the blue sky back there. And you know why there are mountains on the earth? Because of sin. Because the earth went like this in the flood and some of it went up and some of it went down and and we look at it and go wow that is beautiful and that's why we need to remember eye has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which god has prepared for those who love him can you imagine what an inheritance in heaven is going to be like no in fact you can't imagine (laughs) that's the problem but it's going to be incredible. God's got, got blessings for us that we cannot imagine. And as if all of that isn't enough, we learn in verse 13 that God protects us. Look at verse 13. In, in him, in Christ, you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit, the the words that are used here connote two kinds of promise guarantee. One could be earnest money, when you go to buy a, a house You say, well, I I want your house for this amount of money, and they say, well, basically they say, prove it. Write me a check for $1,000, and then if you don't buy it, I get the $1,000. So you say, here's $1,000 that that shows I am serious, I'm going to buy this house. The other image that's here is that of an engagement ring. When you get serious, you buy a ring, right, Thomas? That's right. And until you put a ring on it, people think, well, you're really not that serious yet. And that's true. Prove it. 
You say you want to marry me? Show me some commitment. And that's what God did. He said, look, I have saved you, but I've sent the Holy Spirit into you as a seal, as a guarantee to say, I'm going to get you all the way home. When Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. When you believe that price was applied to you, he let you out of the slave market of sin, and someday you will be brought all the way home to your final destination. And that's what Philippians 1.6 is about. Paul said to the Philippians, I am confident that he, God, which began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now we need to have a, a holy, respectful fear of God. A fear of God that makes us want to live rightly and honor Him with our life. But we don't have to live in a constant fear of falling out of God's hands. Because it is God's hands that are around us. Every person who truly believes in Christ as Savior receives the Holy Spirit as a protecting gift. We will make it to heaven not because we hang on to the ropes with all of our might, but because God has tied a knot around us that cannot be undone, and that knot is the Holy Spirit. God is the one who's going to make sure we get there. What a blessing. And as if that isn't enough, one more. God uses us to honor himself. Look at verse 6. Why has God given us all of these blessings? Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Look at verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14. To the praise of his glory. Now I understand some people would look at this and say, well, God's kind of arrogant. What did mankind deserve for its sin? Class? Death. What did God give us? Grace. And an opportunity to believe and to be born again. Of which salvation the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not to themselves but to us they did minister, which are now reported to you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Angels don't have the opportunity to be born again. They have the opportunity to sin, and that's how a third of the angels became demons, but there's no redemption. And the angels who have been part of God's work since before this world began are in heaven looking down, going, what in the world 
Why would God save them? How's he going to do it? Look at that one. One of the groups that is receiving the blessing of our salvation is the angels of God in front of whom we are God's teaching example. He's saying this is what it means to be gracious. This is what it means to have mercy. You see how I'm treating these people? Certainly Satan himself as one of those angels is learning things that he does not want to learn. The angels don't demonstrate grace. The animals don't demonstrate grace. Only human beings show the gracious character of God. We reflect the glory of God like a fine piece of art reflects the ability of its maker. And that is our privilege to be, to be used of God to show forth His greatness. Now look at verse 15 with me. On considering all of these blessings, the Apostle Paul went to prayer. He shared all of these things. These things are true. They're true in the heavenlies. They're true in your life. But there is a caveat. There's a condition. Therefore, after I heard of your faith, of the, the people in Ephesus, you have come to faith in Christ. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's what he prayed. I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and the riches of the glory of His inheritance. Paul realized that the ability to appreciate the blessings we've just been talking about are not natural, they are not human, they are divine. And as such, when a person comes to faith in Christ, they need God to take the blinders off, to open the mind, to open the heart, so that this truth might sink in and have meaning and significance. In verse 17, the word for knowing emphasizes an experiential kind of knowing that deepens over time. The Apostle John alluded to this kind of knowledge when he said this, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, children, and he goes on to repeat this with a little different emphasis. Clearly what John is saying here is it's possible to know God on deepening levels. This is Harry Anderson, the actor. He's most famous for his role in Night Court, a show of uh, many years ago now. I know Harry Anderson. My wife knows Harry Anderson. We had dinner with Harry Anderson. With his first wife. Got a second wife now, from what I read on the internet this week. Set. 
sat this far away from him, had a nice conversation for the whole evening. I know him. What do you suppose he'd say if you emailed him and said, hey, do you know Dave Lunsford? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who? He was a real nice fella. Many people know Christ the same way that I know Harry Anderson. Many people will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, this is the words of Jesus himself, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is possible to know about Christ, to be familiar with the truths of the cross, but not to know him. It is possible to know about some of the truths we've been talking about today without knowing them deeply. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be conformed to his death. I want to know him as deeply as I possibly can. How do you get to know God how do you get to have a heart of thankfulness because you appreciate all these blessings we've been talking about today more than the stuff of life that you don't have? You get to know God, first of all, by listening to Him speak. By listening to Him speak. And this is the chief place where He speaks, right here. I know many people talk about praying to God, about decisions and different things, but the knowledge of God always starts right here. God has told us all of this. According to 2 Peter 1, it's everything we need to know for life and godliness. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? This is a big book, and the print is small. You know, uh, Ralph's book has got some space between the lines, but not this one. There's a lot more words here than he wrote. And they're so full of meaning. I know for a fact that I read so much scripture on Sunday morning that some of you are going, man, what does that mean? What does that mean? You're thinking about all that. And that's great. You know how you get to know that? Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, every day, every day. Listen. Listen. God is talking. God is talking. If you had a special person in your life, and you said, I know this person. You said, when's the last time you talked to him? Well, it's been about a year ago. When's the last time you heard them talk? Oh, a couple of years. We'd say, well, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You don't know them. Friend, we can know God. We need to listen to the word. We need to learn the word. We need to live the word. Do you know that part of the way you get to know God is by living what he says, and as you depend on him, you get to see him at work in you and through you, and you go, wow, God is great. But if you pull back from his word, you don't learn it, you don't live it, you think, oh, I wish I knew God better. And he's waiting to be known. And of course, we get to know God by talking to him and by depending on him and by serving him.
As the holidays approach, we all have some traditions. Martha Stewart, the queen of, queen of all things. <laughs> Certainly the absolute judge by which all of our homes are evaluated. Not. We all have traditions about what we need to eat and how things need to be organized and decorated. And it's real easy to get focused on that stuff like Martha does. Maybe I should have titled this sermon, Don't Be a Martha. If you want to have a perfect Thanksgiving, start today spending more time with God, gaining a greater appreciation of all that He's already done. And you'll be able to live in Thanksgiving, not just have it on that fourth Thursday. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for reaching down and tying that rope on and pulling us in and giving us the blessings of Christ-likeness and the Holy Spirit and the security that he brings and just all of these things is so great. As we come now to partake of the bread and the juice, may we truly be remembering your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of his, all of his ministry to us. I pray in his name, amen.